This episode of Saturday Morning Rewind is brought to you by Voice Chasers. Find out more about the voice actor you hear on this episode at voicechasers.com. Voice Chasers, celebrating the art of voice acting since 1996. Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind. A show dedicated to the love of animation and feeling like a kid again. So let's go back in time to when cats defended Third Earth. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror that flaps in the night. And knowing was half the battle. Yo, Joe! Let's go back with Saturday Morning Rewind and your host, Tim Nidell. Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind. I am your host, Tim Nidell, of course. Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Saturday Rewind. And make sure to follow us on Facebook as well. Just type in Saturday Morning Rewind and you'll find us. So as you know, this show is all about taking you back to your childhood. And boy, oh boy. Wow, that's pretty dorky. We are definitely taking you back with this interview today because we have the one and only Townsend Coleman on the show. Seriously, one of the nicest guys I've ever met and had on the show. I could not say enough nice things about Townsend. I was able to hang out with him just a little bit last summer, last October, um, when Christy from Voice Chasers and Gary and myself went to go see a play of his in Hollywood called 39 Steps at the uh, Actors Co-op, and it was amazing. Uh, we talk a little bit about it during the interview near the end of it. We talk some about his uh, theater work and my theater work as well. And, of course, we also talk about his work on Ninja Turtles, because he was the voice of Michelangelo. Hey, dudes, scope out the all-night theater. Let's go check it out. <laughs> all right. Home run, my man. We talk about The Tick, because he voiced The Tick. Our future holds still more dire threats, more perilous plots. Wherever villainy rears its great big head, wherever evil sets its giant ill-smelling foot, you will find... The Tick. And yes, my sidekick Arthur. Certainly a force to be reckoned with. And so, may evil beware. And may good dress warmly and eat plenty of fresh vegetables. One voice that I did not know he did up until maybe about maybe three to four years ago was the little voice of Cool Spot from the uh, 7-Up commercials from the early 90s. <laughs> so, of course, we talk a little bit about that. And we also talked about a uh, kind of an unknown cartoon. It's not unknown, but you don't hear anybody ever talk about it. We talk about Saber Rider and the Star Sheriffs, because he was a voice in that as well. And I'm glad we did, because he tells a really, really cool story about the show and uh, an accessory that you could buy as a kid and kind of play along with uh, the series as it aired on TV. Of course, before I play the interview, make sure to check us out. SaturdayMorningRewind.com Please make sure to check out our YouTube channel and our YouTube show where we unbox and kind of review toys from the 80s and 90s and sometimes early 2000s. Like I said before, I, I kind of hate calling it an unboxing show because it's not really an unboxing show. I mean, true, we do unbox toys and action figures, but it's more than that. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of... Do you guys remember Attack of the Show on G4? It's kind of like that. I mean, you know, we're Christian and I are standing at a little podium, got a really cool set behind us. We got a bebop, you know, mannequin to Christian's right and a chitara to my left. And if you grew up on any kind of 80s and 90s pop culture, I think you're really going to like this show. So make sure to tune in. We try to release at least two episodes a month, sometimes more. Uh, the latest episode was actually quite fitting for this interview. It was a Ninja Turtle episode where we unboxed one item from 89, one item from 98, and then one of the recent Nika releases of the uh, giant action figure from the uh, 90s Ninja Turtle movie, which that action, I can't call it an action figure, it was heavy, it was huge, and it's just amazing, so make sure to check out that episode, it's all about Raphael, I know Townsend was the voice of Michelangelo, but if you're listening and love Ninja Turtles, I think you guys are really going to love the YouTube episode. 
Of course, all of the links are on our website, SaturdayMorningRewind.com, or just go to YouTube and just type in Saturday Morning Rewind. And again, I want to thank our Patreon supporters for their continued support. So thank you so much, Jared Tolbert, Mike Clemens, Erica Palello, Juwan Bledsoe, Caitlin O'Greatone, and our newest family member, please welcome Ty. Ty, thank you so much for your donations, and I look forward to having you in the family. And you too can become a member of the family. Just go to our donation tab on our website, and um, donations start at two bucks, two bucks a month. Pretty easy. But anyways, I guess that's about it. I cannot say, like I said, I cannot say enough kind things about Townsend Coleman. So here is my interview with the man himself, Townsend Coleman. Usually when I get started with these interviews, I want to talk about the past. Tell me about your childhood, Townsend. What what kind of kid were you? Were you into animation as a kid? Uh, I, I wasn't so much, uh, I mean, I watched cartoons when I was a little kid, you know, um, probably Huckleberry Hound was my, my favorite. Uh, but, I, but I wasn't one of these kids that was super into, uh, animation to the, or cartoons to the extent that, that I always wanted to be, uh, uh a cartoon voice actor, mm-hmm. uh, that never even occurred to me. I mean, even after I moved to LA, uh, you know, 30 odd years ago. When you would sit there and watch it, you wouldn't ever kind of mimic voices or anything. No, nah, I wasn't. I wasn't. I really wasn't that kind of kid. Um, I, you know, I would. I, I would. You know, mimic voices a little bit. My dad used to be on the radio, and uh, in fact, my folks met working at NBC in the early fifties uh, in New York at Thirty Rock, and and so my dad was uh, always wanting to be. His goal was to be a uh, an announcer for the network, and. And that didn't happen, but he did get on the radio after he moved us to to Denver in the uh, mid '50s, and um, so I remember growing up, uh, sort of watching my dad listen to these these old comedy albums of uh, Bob Newhart and Stan Freeberg and uh, and uh, you know some old radio dramas, and uh, and and so that's really kind of where I developed my my love for. Um, I think the human voice and voice acting uh, was was from that influence really more than watching TV for me or or, okay. or watching cartoons. Yeah. yeah. And so that, that gave you your love for radio. Very much so. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, uh, from from a very young age, I was fascinated by radio. I remember lying in bed when I was a kid in Cleveland um, and looking out the window at night and seeing a radio tower in the distance and seeing this red beacon flashing and <laughs> and and just trying to imagine knowing that s- somehow voices that I was listening to on the radio came th- from that, I thought, came from that flashing red light. <laughs> and and so I tried to imagine what voices were coming off the top of that tower. And, uh, yeah, I was always fascinated by radio. I would listen to my little transistor radio from Cleveland. I could pick up WABC in New York, and I would I would hear these jocks on late at night. And they were in, you know, this is back before I knew what reverb was. Mm. And these guys just sounded like they were swimming in this just enormous room. And uh, that always fascinated me. And, and so there was something about the, the power of the... Uh, the suggestion of radio, the you know, and the power of the human voice that uh, that I just was fascinated by ever since I was a kid. Tell me about your radio years. Well, I yeah, I mean, um, my dad having been on radio, uh, I think I kind of sort of uh, subconsciously wanted to follow in his footsteps, and and so when I was in college at the University of Colorado in Boulder uh, in the early seventies. I had the foresight to go down to Denver and actually get my third class radio license, which you needed in those days to, mm-hmm. to actually get a job in radio. And um, so I quit school uh, after a couple of years and went home uh, to Cleveland and got married in 74. Uh, and in 1975, my brother-in-law was getting fired from a radio station because they were changing formats. And he told me, uh, he knowing that I wanted to get into radio, he said, uh, listen, they're going to be uh, hiring inexperienced people cheap. Uh, you might want to call this guy. So I did and went down and met with him. The guy offered me um, a weekend midnight to six uh, graveyard shift <laughs> on this beautiful music station. You know, so it was really just time and temp on the quarter hour kind of thing. And yeah. 
but it got me in radio. And uh, and then they fired me after about a year, and I ended up going to another radio station uh, in 76 that was a, uh, a disco station in Cleveland, and then ended up working at five different radio stations over the course of 10 years in Cleveland. Um, but that is really where I discovered uh, voiceovers, because yeah. uh, at the time, uh, I was also um, program, uh, not program, uh, production director at a couple of the radio stations that I worked at. And um, it was the production that I really loved so much. I mean, being on the air was okay. It was novel. But, uh, but it was uh, doing the uh, radio production that I just loved. And that's where I discovered that I could get hired outside of the radio station to do uh, voiceovers for local ad agencies there in Cleveland. And got to the point where after uh, 10 years on the air, uh, I was making more money a year doing uh, freelance voiceover than I was working hmm. six days a week at the radio station. It just didn't wow. make sense to me. So, yeah. Yeah. What gave you your first big break um, in Inspector Gadget? How did you get that gig? Well, um, in 1984, I, I quit my radio career and uh, ended up moving, just taking a, you know, a long shot and, and moving to L.A. Uh, with a wife and three kids. And um, I got an agent uh, straight away. I was very, very fortunate. And uh, six months after I moved there, uh, moved here, uh, uh, I got, they sent me on, audition, uh, on an audition for Inspector Gadget, um, which I thought was uh, interesting. I thought this will be fun. You know, I'd never given any thought to doing cartoons myself. I just uh -huh. didn't see myself being that kind of guy. So um, even though I had done a bunch of characters when I was on the radio doing morning shows, so uh, go figure. But um, <laughs> so I went to this audition and they showed me a picture of the character and gave me some sample lines. And just intuitively, I don't know, maybe it was my acting background as well, but but I uh, uh, I had a, just a real strong sense of what I thought this guy sounded like. And so I did it and, and the, the gal laughed. And so we sort of, you know, messed around with the, the character for, you know, five, ten minutes and. Yeah, two days later, I they booked me, and I found myself sitting in a a little recording studio in Burbank with uh, Maurice Lamarche, Frank Welker, and Don Adams, <laughs> and me. You know, wow. so uh, yeah, I mean that was my intro into uh, animation, and uh, it was it was a a pretty uh, not a rude awakening, but uh, but uh, but a great awakening. I you know I just uh, I had no idea that really that world even existed, and I had so much fun doing that series. I said to my agent, please send me out on more of this kind of stuff. I mean, this, you know, this, this is great. I'm sold on that cast alone. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, and, you know, Don Adams had just some of the best stories to tell. And, you know, here Frank Welker is, is you know, just sitting right next to me to my left. And I had no idea who he was. Yep. And I, I didn't know who. Well, it was Maurice LaMarche's uh, first cartoon series as well. Um, but uh, Frank, of course, you know, the, just the absolute godfather of animation. And uh, and I just but I, I didn't know. I, you know, I wasn't experienced in, in the business, uh, the cartoon end of the business. And, you know, came to find out very quickly, uh, you know, his his resume and and uh, and his, you know, just powerhouse talent. And then, of course, working alongside Don Adams, someone who I'm sure you've seen plenty on TV. Oh my goodness! Well, I was you know totally starstruck. You mm -hmm. know that first session that day, and I and I'm sitting literally right next to him. He's just on my right, and Frank's on my left, and <laughs> you know I'm 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 sandwiched. You know I got a I'm I'm the meat of it. You know I got this 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 talent this talent sandwich. You know going on <laughs> these guys. But Don Adams was was great because of course I recognized him from uh, uh, Get Smart. Of course, you know? yep. Here I'm sitting watching Maxwell Smart, and it was like—I <laughs> mean, I really, Tim, I had to pinch myself, you know, because it was just—I'd only been in LA at that point six months, yeah. And so to, you know, to go from Cleveland to all of a sudden finding myself sitting next to a, you know, bona fide and working with a, you know, bona fide, you know, celebrity, a star, uh, was crazy to me. I thought, wow, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. And then later on in, during Fragger Rock, I mean, did you ever get a chance to meet Jim Henson during Fragger Rock? Never did, no. Okay. And uh, I regret that. I, I, I wished uh, that I had. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I got uh, got Fraggle Rock. It was the only show that I ever did that I had to do a voice match for. I'm not an impressionist or ah. a particularly good mimic uh, at all, um, you know. So I don't I generally don't even bother trying to do the voice match stuff because while I can get a little bit of it, you know. Um, what I think a lot of people don't understand is that to do a voice match, it's not just mimicking a line or two of a character and 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 sounding just like him. It's being able to act it. You know that. I yep. mean, that's that's yep. the problem. It's like, you know, I auditioned for the new voice of Tony the Tiger, for instance. You know, ah. six months ago or whatever. And you know, while I can do a you know pretty decent, they're great. You know, kind of thing to try and act it. Uh, uh, and say other lines in that voice is is tough for me. I, yep. It's just not one of my, you know, my strengths. Um, however, uh, for some reason, I was able to lock into the character of Gobo on Fraggle Rock uh, when they were looking to cast the animated series for NBC. And uh, so I did um, Gobo uh, uh, and Architect and Wrench on that series and uh, had a blast, but it was out of that series um, that I sort of indirectly got Ninja Turtles because the voice director, Stu Rosen, on Fraggle Rock uh, came into uh, one of the recording sessions one day and pulled out a, a copy of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, one of the comic books, out of his briefcase and said, you guys aren't going to believe what I'm casting next. Look at this. And he showed it to us. <laughs> we all just laughed and kind of rolled our eyes and said, oh, okay. Um, but he brought, us, uh, he brought us in. I was working with Rob Paulson on Fraggle Rock and... He brought, um, I think, most of us uh, on Fraggle Rock into audition for Turtles, and uh, Robbie and I, you know, we're we're a couple of lucky ones who uh, who got that show. And I hear Mikey was quite the popular one. How at least Rob and Cam auditioned for that part as well because they really wanted Michelangelo. Uh, yeah, I don't know about them. Uh, wanting Michelangelo, I haven't, I haven't heard that, but uh, perhaps you have, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, just you know, reading the character descriptions, uh, and I, I still have that original audition script and the oh, wow. character descriptions and the and the pictures, you know, that they showed us that day. But um, yeah, I I I I, uh, I know that I auditioned for all four of the turtles, and I imagine uh, Rob and Cam did too. That's sort of the way they were doing it back then. And um, when Rob was cast as Raphael and Barry was cast as Donatello, uh, they hadn't decided whether Cam was going to do Mikey or um, Leonardo, or and uh, and same with me. Uh, and they figured they would just you know decide at the session, mm-hmm. the first session, you know who was going to be who. And uh, and so they just had me do Michelangelo for the first read through, and Cam do Leonardo. And then after that first read-through, uh, they never switched. They said they were going to switch on a second read-through and try us the other way, and they just never did that. So they just left me as Michelangelo and Cam as Leonardo, and that's, that's the way it stayed. And the rest, as they say, is history. So what kind of inspiration, if any at all, did you use for Michelangelo? Well, yeah, you know, I think actually, to be honest, Cam probably did a better surfer dude than I did. Okay, you know, back in those days, they if they used Sean Penn from Fast Times at Ridgemont High uh, as the reference um, uh. for for the audition. I mean, they they actually said that that's what they were looking for a surfer wow. dude like that. And so I kind of and again, like I said, you know, not being an impressionist or a particularly great mimic. Um, I, you know, I sort of did my version of what I thought that sounded like, and I it was good enough for them, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I I faked it for the next ten years. <laughs> I read somewhere I don't know if this is true or not, so you can you know correct me if it's not. I read that you actually ad libbed the Cowabunga. Is that true? No, I don't think so. I think that was a David Wise thing. I'd have okay. to look back in the scripts, but yeah, I'm it's... pretty sure David Wise wrote that into uh, one of the scripts. And and if you read that and it was a quote from me and I said that, I was probably just trying to trying to throw David under the bus. 
<laughs> I no, I mean I don't I don't know where you might have read that, but I, but I think I, no, it, it wasn't. It would it was. I'm sure it was part of the script. Yeah, it was either on IMDb or Wikipedia, so I I never trust either source. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it seemed a little fishy, but you know you never know. <laughs> yeah, but when again, I'm pretty sure I think you know almost all that stuff it came out of the you know the brilliant brain of uh, David Wise back in those days. So was there any ad-libs allowed in each episode? Sure. I, yeah, you know, I mean, my experience uh, ad-libbing in, in cartoons was was relatively limited because, I, so A, I'm not that great at it, and B, you know, you've got guys like Rob Paulson and, you know, and Cam, you know, who, who are, who are yeah, I mean, working in this business is a little daunting sometimes because you're working with the most you know brilliant hilarious witty uh, uh quick um uh talents you know in 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 the acting world as far as i'm concerned you know and 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 they're all so good you know i mean just sitting in uh, uh sessions for ninja turtles or for the tick or you know and and it just became a a a show for me to just sit back and watch you know, Rob yeah. Paulson and, and Jess Harnell and Jim Cummings and, you know, these guys just, you know, going on. Um, so, so yeah, there, I mean, there was some ad-libbing allowed, but my sense was that they kind of didn't want it because these scripts had gone through so many, uh, you know, um, meetings and revisions and approvals that by the time it got to us, particularly when they were network shows, maybe syndicated was a little looser, but when they were network shows, um, you know, these things had been signed off on as is. So they, they pretty much wanted to stick, you know, right to the script. They didn't, they didn't want a whole lot of ad libs. Yeah. Uh, But I do know that I do, you know, have memories of uh, Rob, for instance, you know, throwing in, you know, little ad-libs or Pat Fraley throwing in little ad-libs that would just be hilarious and they couldn't not use them. I also heard, I think I saw it in one of your interviews, that uh, you auditioned for the role of Raphael in the 2012 version. I did, did, yeah. And, boy, what a a brutal day that was. It was... uh, (laughs) Oh man, I mean, I'm not even sure I want to recount it, but I'll just tell you right quick <laughs> that that yeah, I, uh, on the day that I was um, going to audition for it uh, and head over to Nickelodeon, uh, a it was uh, pouring rain uh, here in L.A. and I had to stop. It was a it, it was at a particularly low point in my life. I'll just put it that way when when things weren't going particularly well for me in in sort of personal areas. Mm. And I was, uh, I had to stop by the post office on my way to the audition and pick up a certified letter uh, from the IRS. And I opened this letter in the parking lot in the pouring rain and got some very bad news. And it so deflated me and so frustrated me and angered me that that is not a way you want to go to an audition no and i had literally i had to drive straight from there in the in the pouring rain over to nick in burbank and uh and go in and just try and be up you know and Mm -hmm. I, i was you know auditioning for people i didn't know uh, it wasn't a familiar uh, place. Um, I wasn't familiar with Nickelodeon really so much. And, and so it was just, it was a, you know, it was a confluence of, you know, really bad things sort of all coming together at once, uh, at a point where I was trying my best just to, you know, rise above it and, 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 and act, you know, mm-hmm. and I just couldn't, it, it was, I just had too much, you know, bearing down on me. And uh, and that was that. I remember I remember just feeling uh, standing in that studio auditioning for these guys. It was for I'm I'm sure for Ciro and Brandon Amon and these great guys. And uh, and I didn't know them. I'd never met them before. And I, I you know I could just feel as the words were coming out of my mouth that there was like this voice in my head that was just going, "This isn't working. This isn't working. Yeah. This isn't working. It's no good. It's no good, dude." 
you know it, they know it. And and it was one of those horrible situations where, you know, you, you're sort of trying to do your best, but they, but as soon as you're done, you know, like virtually after take one, they go, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and you just sort of, you know, pull yourself together and walk out the door and then get in your car and fall apart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that was, uh, that was a, that was a non-starter that one. I'm the kind of guy where if something like that happens, you know, later down the road, you see that it was a good choice. You know what I mean? That things happen for a reason. So who knows? Well, absolutely. And, and I completely agree with you. I, I subscribe to that same, you know, outlook, uh, you know, um, uh, Sean Astin was a, a, a great Raphael yeah, on, on yeah. that show and a perfect choice for them. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you know, a lot, uh, listen, uh, you got to look at stuff like that. Otherwise, you, you're going to end up beating yourself up for the rest of your life for yeah. too many things and keeping yourself stuck. You know, yep. you just, you'll never move ahead like yep, that. Exactly. So you, I completely agree. Yeah. Lesson learned, just keep on going. Yep. Uh, absolutely. So there's one cartoon that I never heard anybody talk about, and I loved it as a kid. As a kid, it was uh, Saber Rider and the Star Sheriffs. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you, that was what, an early one for me. Yeah, that was what, probably about 1986. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was really early in your career. Do you, what do you remember about that show? Well, uh, I remember a that it was me and Pat Fraley and Rob Paulson again. Yep, yep. You know, it's like we the three <laughs> of us got to do you know do that and and. Uh, a space cats together and uh of course ninja turtles and the tick and I, it was crazy this like little triumvirate this the, the three of us but yeah what i remember most about it was that it, it was it, it was a unique situation because it was a cartoon that had already been uh, animated and on the air in japan so it was it was japanese uh, early i, I want to say it was early anime uh, um essentially and it was, uh, and so we had to revoice this into English. Mm-hmm. So it's the only project I ever had to work on where they didn't really worry so much about the <laughs> the acting as they did about the timing, <laughs> uh, uh, because they had every single line timed to the tenth of a second. And so when we did our lines, you know, as long as the line, you know, was sort of passable, sounded like the character and. And and the 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 inflection you know made sense. Uh, really, what they worried about was will it fit? And mm-hmm. so you know, as long as the line fit and was the right length, then they moved on to the next line. And uh, so that was the first thing I remember about that show. Uh, the second thing that was really interesting about this show, and I don't know if you know this, but this show was uh, um, how can I describe it? Was was really technologically ahead of its time because it had a a a, um, a console that you uh, let me see how this work it was either a console or a gun that you could buy like at Toys R Us that had a light um, sensor on it and built within the show was a was was a flash that I think was imperceptible to the human eye. Hmm. But but that this sensor on this gun, you know, it was like a, a pistol, uh, an Old West pistol, uh, could pick up. And so what you did was when when certain things happened in this show, you were supposed to shoot at the bad guys and see if you could hit them. And it would keep score. Wow. Whether you hit it or Yeah, I mean, actually at the TV. So I, I'd have to look back and, and try and see if I could find more information about that. But I just remember that being a part of this series and thinking holy cow yeah i mean this is like an arcade game at home that you can use on your regular old tv you know so yeah that was the most unique thing about that series for me um and it was Uh, Mm short-lived really kind of nobody ever heard about it and nobody ever talked about it but nobody ever talked about that aspect of the game I've never um, heard about that. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I'd have to look back, like I said, and and see if I could find more info about that. But uh, yeah, Saber Rider and the Starship. So yeah, was, wow. Was, I'm, I, I got one. goosebumps as you were telling me that. That's that's. I've never heard anything like that ever. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. 
One other character that I was obsessed with as a kid, I haven't had this figure on, um, it was a keychain of mine that I had on my backpack for two years in school, was the uh, 7-Up Cool Spot. <laughs> wow. Yeah, boy, that spot was a uh, yeah cool spot. He he was a he was a big part of my life for about uh, six or seven years. Yeah, I didn't know it was you up until maybe like I think maybe three to four years ago. Yeah, and and boy, I got to tell you, Tim, that was uh, that was again one of those fluky you know situations getting getting that gig because at the time. Before I got it, I was uh, the voice of, uh, I was uh, doing the announcer on uh, Kellogg's Frosted Flakes commercials. Okay. And at one of the uh, Frosted Flakes sessions uh, here in L.A. at L.A. Studios, the uh, producer who, who came in from an ad agency in Chicago said to me after one of the sessions, he said, uh, Townsend, are you familiar with this, uh, this character, the cool spot, little red 7-Up spot that, you know, runs around with sunglasses and stuff? And I said, yeah. And he, and he said, well, that's our account. And the guy who has been doing the voice for that uh, is the creative director of the agency, and he's leaving the agency to a competing agency, so we can't continue to use him. Hmm. And I need to recast this thing. And I uh, uh, frankly don't feel like going through a, a, you know, a whole long casting process, and I know you do a lot of animation. Would you mind just laying down a little demo for me of just some gibberish. And um, I'll take it back to the agency and, and uh, you know, see where it goes from there. And I thought to myself, I thought, would you mind? What do you mean, would I mind? Of course I wouldn't <laughs> mind. <laughs> I'll do anything. What, what do you need? So I laid down a little demo of that. And again, a couple of days later, I'm, you know, booked on this first uh, seven up session the first i should say of two s only two seven up sessions that i ever did really the first lasted about an hour the second lasted about 20 minutes wow and then the reason being is because all they needed was they were just building a library of sounds you know and uh, you know they needed spot in you know certain situations you know he's riding a surfboard or he's you know climbing a tall building or he's falling off of a tall building or he's you know tripping in the sand or whatever so they needed just little you know uh, vocal reactions to that kind of stuff um nothing intelligible it's just all gibberish and so we just did kind of an, it felt like it just an endless you know barrel full of stuff like that in that first session uh, for which they built, um, I want to say, six or seven national TV spots a year uh, yeah. out of that uh, over the course of six or seven years. And uh, the the only second session that I did was they needed some very specific things and um, that they also ended up using for the, the uh, video game, the console. Oh, yeah. Yep. And, and I think a home game. I think there's a, a home game for NES or yep. one of those things, yep. too. Yeah. I remember that. So it just out of, you know, out of a, a fluke, you know, by the way, would you mind, uh, you know, a little audition, uh, impromptu audition there, to only two sessions, this thing went on to just run forever, it seemed, and uh, <laughs> is one, one, one of the most lucrative uh, gigs that I ever had, but one of the most unique and fun ones, too. Uh, you know, you don't often get a chance to, to kind of stretch like that. Yeah, and I don't know what it was. I think it was just he was just so cool that I just I adored him. <laughs> One of the character that I am in love with that you voiced, of course, is the Tick. Indeed, good citizen. I'm happy to hear that. He had to have been one of the most fun characters to voice, right? Oh my gosh, Tim! Can I tell you, going to those <laughs> sessions? First of all, it was an incredible cast. Second of all, it was incredible writing, or I should say the other way around. It was incredible writing and an incredible cast. Mm -hmm. um, ben Edlund uh, is just brilliant. And I remember reading those scripts and then getting to the end, like the last page where, where the tick would you know go off on this just wild-ass rant about, you know, just the most insane, inane things. Yep. And... They would make me laugh so hard internally as I was reading these, and they were so much fun to do 
that it got to the point where after just a, the first few episodes that we did, when when we go in to record uh, uh, one of the episodes during the session, we would get our script. They you know would have our script there uh, when we got there, and we'd take our script and we'd start going through it. You know, circling lines or highlighting your lines, and and then um, you know and sort of reading through it to get a sense of where the script was going. Uh, when I would do that, I, it got to the point where I enjoyed that last rant so so much that I wouldn't read it. I, I would go through the script, but when I would get to that like that last page or two, I'd stop. I wouldn't I wouldn't read through it, and I would just wait until the um, the actual record, and we do that first record through. I get to that last page and I just launch into it completely cold without having read it. Wow. Because I found that when I just read it, it I, you know, my, my eye would look like the next line ahead, you know, uh-huh. how you do. And uh-huh. and I would get a sense of where it was going as I was reading it. <laughs> and and I would be so like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is, you know, and I, I, I would just like go for it. And nine times out of ten, they'd end up just taking that first take, that cold take, nice. you know, just because it was so absurd yeah wow and it gave him his character you know you can you can tell in the audio that you know it's genuine oh my gosh yeah that was uh, that was that was more i mean i listen i I love all the animation that i've done over the years and i and certainly you know michelangelo you know probably the most iconic i would guess but Mm -hmm. but the tick recording those episodes was probably the most fun I bet. I've ever had doing animation. Wow. It just there was those scripts were just brilliant, you know. And the guest and the guest artists, the you know the the uh, the guest uh, VO people, they bring in on it and stuff. You know, having Roddy McDowell in and mm-hmm. working with him, and <laughs> having you know my personal favorites, the Firesign Theater. Um, you know, working with Phil Proctor over the years has been oh, a wow. joy. But but being able to get all four guys from Firesign Theater who were really instrumental for me when I was in, a junior in high school. The Firesign Theater was super hot, and the big thing was to be able to memorize all of Nick Danger, Third Eye, and do the voices as well. And mm-hmm. that's probably as close as I've ever gotten to to being a mimic. Okay. okay. And, and I remember I was able to do it and memorize it and do the voices. And and so so these guys were heroes to me. And And so when I first met phil proctor out here on a pepsi radio commercial and i'm working with him over at la studios i'd only been here maybe a year or two and he introduced himself and i thought boy that name is really familiar and and then i thought phil proctor wait there's a phil proctor in Firesign theater mm-hmm. this can't be the same guy is it and so i looked at him i said you don't have anything to do with Firesign Theater, do you? And he laughed, and he said, "Yes, that's <laughs> that's me." And I I melted, and then so, you know, we would work together over the years, and and uh, that was always such a joy for me. But but when um, when I was doing the Tick, uh, Hank Tucker, one of the producers on the Tick uh, for one of the seasons, was. Uh, a huge tick, uh, a huge fire sign theater fan also. And we got to talking about it one day and he said, how about if we get, try and get all four guys in because Phil had been doing a number of the episodes, but I said, Oh my God, that would be brilliant. And they were able to do it. So we had uh, all four guys from fire sign theater on for, I want to say three or four of the episodes. And that was wow. like the highlight of my career. Uh-huh. Um, working, working side by side with those guys. I was just, I mean, talking about having to pinch yourself. That, I mean, that was it for me. You know, you work with some some real luminaries like that. It's like working with June Foray. She played the my grandmother in Teen Wolf back in nineteen eighty five. That's right. That's right. Six. You know, getting to work with her and and uh, I remember Donnie Most from Happy Days was was on that show and Jerry Hauser and you know all these. All these great guys and these great names and these great, you know, um, uh, not just great actors, but I mean, celebs, you know, you grew up watching and you just, mm-hmm. you shake yourself and you go, how in the world? I'm, I'm just a kid from Cleveland. I know. I, I feel the same way doing this show. I mean, I'm talking to you, somebody. Okay. So, <laughs> so when I had Rob on the show, I told him the story about when I was a kid, I used to take yeah. my little tape recorder. So this would have been about maybe 87. Right. And I used to 
take my tape recorder, put it to the TV with a little microphone, and record my favorite cartoon characters. Wow. And then I would okay, go to my, so you were super into it. Yeah, and then I'd go to my bedroom where I had a dual cassette player, and I could pretend to interview those said cartoon characters I just recorded. <laughs> that's and, awesome. Yeah. And so oh, here dude, I am now. That's great. Yeah, here I am oh, now. That's... I'm talking to the people I talked to as a kid. That's awesome, dude. I love those stories. Well, listen, let me tell you, when I was probably, uh, let me see, would have had to be about like nine years old, I too had a little tape recorder, but I'm uh, infinitely older than you are, so the tape recorder that I had was a little reel-to-reel wow. tape recorder with the little three-inch reels. Yeah. Right? I mean, and this thing was probably, you know, 10 inches wide by about eight inches deep and, you know... Uh, three inches high it's just a you know a little black and white you know portable reel-to-reel tape recorder i mean i can see it like it was yesterday the little round microphone with a you know metal stripes on it on the front Uh and i would do the same thing i would record i mean i would kill to have some of those i know i have i have a couple of the not the cartoon characters but i interviewed my my grandparents the same kind of way but i'm glad i had those because they both passed on you know 20 years ago right 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 Oh, gosh. Yeah, I would kill to have some of those old tapes like that. Well, I remember, my, uh, listen, what I do have is I've got tapes of that because my dad, you know, having been in radio was kind of super into this too. And he had, when he was at NBC, they were remodeling their audio studios there uh, in the early 50s. And they were throwing out old uh, tape decks. And at the time, they were these huge aluminum chassis um with the big 10-inch reels on them. And the record meter was actually, a t- you probably never even heard of this, but it was actually a tube, okay? Hmm. It's a vacuum tube. Mm-hmm. And, on, and if you look at it on the very top, which was the only portion of it that's you know stuck out of the surface of this thing, it had a little, what looked like a little V that would open and close and open and close. You know, it was electroluminescent uh-huh. uh, thing. And that was the record meter for this thing. Wow. That's how old this was. Wow. And my dad my dad uh, salvaged this from the trash heap. And I remember when we moved to Denver, that's what he used to record us on. And I've still got recordings of me with my sisters when I was yeah. five, four wow. years old. Yep. You know, I love that stuff. But I wish I had some of the stuff that I recorded when, you know, I was like nine, 10, yep. 11 years old. Because I was super, I was super into that. Yeah. I had my little tape recorder. Man, that was it. <laughs> Same here. Yeah. What about any kind of recent theater work? Have you done any uh, theater at the co-op lately? Uh, I I did. Well, you you saw 39 Steps, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You and... um, Christy uh, and uh, Gary. uh, uh, Gary, right. Um, Yeah, I haven't done a show since then, but I am uh, hoping to do a show next year. I really kind of only have time to do one show a season. Yeah. Um, I was hoping to do another one. They just closed uh, Man for All Seasons, which I really wanted to do. But I, see, I teach up in the Bay Area um, a couple of times, like three, four times a year. And and so I have to give them my schedule like six months in advance. And, and so I never know what it's going to end up conflicting with. So that's a problem. Plus, uh, uh, this year I was uh, the keynote speaker down at VO Atlanta and uh, in the beginning of March. And um, so I was out of town then. I just am out of town sort of too often during the year to be able to commit to a show. Oh, I know, I know so the feeling, it, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bummer because I would love to be doing more shows uh, down a co-op. I, I love getting back on stage. You know, it, it was a 30-year dry spell for me. Wow. Um, between the last show that I did in Cleveland, which was uh, Pirates of Penzance, and um, and then the first show that I did at co-op was uh, Ah Wilderness uh, in 2013. So 31 years. Wow. Because I did Pirates in 1982. Yeah, so it was a 31-year dry spell. And... And only because I just never had the time to do it here, you know, particularly when I was at NBC for, you know, all those years, 16 years I was there. Um, doing the promos, uh, you know, all the the, the uh, uh, must-see TV promos. I did all their comedy promos for 16 years, but also the Tonight Show promos for Jay Leno every year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, every night. And so I actually had to be down at the network at 7 
And uh, and I was usually more at six thirty, and I was down there until you know eight thirty or nine, and so that was five nights a week. I could never I could never do a show because I could never uh, uh, rehearse, you know. So when they finally let me go, it freed. It was a bummer, of course, but uh, but it freed up my nights. It freed up my schedule more. And so I, after a couple of years, I thought, you know, I think it's time to get back on stage. Mm-hmm. And boy, I'm glad I did. It's it's such a great workout and it's such a great release. Yeah, and uh, it's just so much fun. And I cannot you tell act, you, are you I, an actor? I have, also? I have, I I've done. We have. A, I live in a small town in in Montana, mm-hmm. so we have a small theater here. I've done maybe five plays here. Mm-hmm. And I, plays are addictive, but time-consuming. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I yeah. was going to say, because to do a show at co-op, it's three months out of your life. Exactly. You, yep. know, you, you rehearse f- literally uh, six days a week, and that's for six weeks. And then when the show goes up, you have a little more free time because you're only uh, yep. doing shows Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But that's for six weeks also. So yep. it's a yeah, it's a three month commitment, and um, you got to really, really want it. Um, but I find that one a year uh, really scratches that itch for me. Yeah, and do I you, cannot do tell you, you sing. I can't. No, they they always want oh. me for musicals. I was like, I can't sing. Sorry. Uh, got it. Okay. I kind of sort of sing. Uh, you know, I mean, passable enough. Uh, you know, the last musical that I did was uh, Pirates. Like I was saying, I sang the role of Frederick in that, which was a real challenge for me because. I had been studying voice. I had, I had done Camelot two years prior, and in a big production, uh, um, big lush, lavish production, uh, and that, uh, um, I got really terrible reviews for that. Really? Be- because yeah, because I I wasn't prepared. I wasn't I wasn't a singer. I you know they got me because I was on the radio in Cleveland, and I could sing well enough you know mm-hmm. to get the part. Yeah. But then when it came to singing with the orchestra out in this big, you know, outdoor amphitheater and the whole thing, man, it was just, it was overwhelming for me. It was, uh, it was a real, exp- it was not a bad experience, but it was a humbling experience for sure and embarrassing to a certain degree. But it, you know, I mean, I almost wanted to give up and just say, I'm never doing theater again. But I thought, you know, dude, you, you don't do that. You, you fix what's wrong and then you go for it again. And so I started studying voice uh, for a couple of years, and two years later did, uh, and during that two years did a, a number of musicals, but culminating with uh, uh, Pirates. And I had so much fun. That, now, you know, as, as The Tick was the most fun I've had doing animation, Pirates of Penzance was the most fun I've ever had on stage. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a blast, and I was very proud of the work that I did, you know, because I worked really hard to to get that singing, you know, going enough mm-hmm. to be able to pull that off, and, and I did. But I haven't done a musical since then, and I'd love to do another one. And let me tell you that all three of us adored Third to Nine Steps when we saw it in October. It was amazing. Did you really? Yeah, it was It was I, great. Yeah. Hey, boy, that was fun. Yeah, I've, I'll, I probably won't ever get a chance to do a show like that again, you know, just because of my age mm-hmm. and kind of where I fit into that theater company. Uh you know, I'm going to be relegated to the, you know, old town doctor roles, and, <laughs> you know, the, the yeah. stuff like that. I, I won't I won't get anything that's this wild and creative and active uh, probably ever again. But I lost 20 pounds. You there, know, you so that, there you that go. There you go. That was good news. Um, the bad news, uh, of course, is that I've gained 25 back since. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, same thing happened with me. My last play I did. Ever heard of Chanted April? No. Okay, yeah, I did Enchanted April this past, what, I think it was September. And um, so one of my scenes, I had to be pretty much naked on, on stage. What? Yeah, with, with a, a small towel around the waist, but the towel is supposed to drop almost halfway down. Oh, my gosh. And so I was like, oh, my God, I got to get better shape. So I lost, you know, like 15 <laughs> pounds for that role. Yeah, right. I So <laughs> I have never had to be, like, naked on stage. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, and it's a good thing too, because I I would I would really have to get in shape for that. Oh man, what a scary thought! Yeah, it was interesting. And my my scene changed to get naked. I had so I was on the stage. I had literally I'd say twenty seconds to get completely naked and come back on stage. Oh my gosh! So I had to go out. Wow. I, I had to go out the the first door I exited and just get naked and just right rip there. Your, yep. Rip your clothes off. Yep. 
Wow. And then when, my, when that scene's over with, I have approximately about 45 seconds to a minute to get dressed again. To get get back into your clothes. So yep. when this towel drops, how do you keep it... How does it drop only halfway? How do you keep I, it from dropping off completely? Well, pretty much the people behind me saw stuff, but the people in the audience didn't see anything. So I, I, I practiced it like at home perfectly to where it kind of drops in behind me, but not in front of me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, you know, probably the closest thing I have to that is <laughs> is I did a, a Christopher Drang show called uh, Dentity Crisis mm-hmm. um, about uh, three years ago. And... It was for the Hollywood Fringe Festival uh, over at a theater on Santa Monica. And and uh, the part that I played was is he's a psychiatrist. And he is interviewing this gal who, this young gal who has, you know, a bunch of problems and stuff. And so, you, you know, during the play, the whole gist is you think this girl who's being, you know, treated by this psychiatrist and his wife... Uh, is really the sick one when it turns out that everybody else is the insane, ah. you know, one, including the psychiatrist, his uh-huh. wife, wow. uh, the girl's mom, and uh, their relative. I mean, the, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a totally absurd theater. But <laughs> the part that I played, he has a sex change. He and his wife <laughs> have sex changes, so he becomes the woman and his uh-huh. wife becomes a man wow. and so i have to change into essentially her costume wow and her costume is this really tight slinky you know red <laughs> skin tight dress black fishnets and like you know four inch you know high heel you know spike high heels uh-huh. and and so i i, I quickly had to get into this dress and these fishnets and these high heels, you know, and, and, and sort of stuff, you know, stuff into my chest to have boobs. <laughs> and then I had to be like really sexy and uh, go right to the lip of the stage and look at the audience and deliver this monologue. And, and you know, while I'm feeling myself up and so it was like weird, I got to wow. tell you. Wow. Um, those are pictures I, I try and avoid, <laughs> you know, ha- having spread all over the Internet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so right. okay, buddy. Towns. Well, Can thank you so you... much. I hope you. Yeah. I hope you get enough here. No, it's, that you... it's been amazing. It's... I, I love this. Well, good deal. Good deal. Can I get you well, to close out the interview with Michelangelo? Uh, of course, yeah. Oh, dude, this has been absolutely a blast. I got to tell you, dude, you are like one mondo interviewer. Like totally, you ask all these great questions that I can't possibly answer. You guys, you're listening to Tim Nidell's Saturday Morning Rewind right here with Michelangelo. Cowabunga! Whoa. Thanks for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check him out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.